buffer that. And so what would be important is who created this dance or this, you know, piece of choreography? Was it the actor that plays Carlton Banks or was it a producer on the show? Um, did he have it created by a choreographer and that choreographer transferred ownership to him? That's something that I would want to know. Um, and then it comes down to also like, was he, is this something that could be protected under trademark law? He wasn't using it in commerce. He wasn't using it to sell a certain um, type of goods or service, but you know, was the show itself or the producers of the show, were they using that to advertise the television show i mean i don't know there's there's so many different layers right that we could peel back and talk about but So, hey y'all, I'm back. I'm back with another one. And y'all are probably gonna be wondering, Philip, why have you had so many uh, attorneys on here? Because uh, I, by the time you have this, uh, hear this podcast, I would have interviewed a bunch of attorneys and I have a lot more on the, on the docket, but I don't know. I think uh, my mom told me that I probably should have become a, a attorney. So maybe it's that inside of me, or I think what it really is, is I just, I think law is a foundational part of building wealth because if you don't have a good legal team, then the powers that be uh, can take everything that you worked hard uh, to build. And, um, and so I just, I think attorneys are super duper important. They provide a lot of expertise and value that I don't think that a computer will ever be able to, um, to provide. So, but today I have an interesting attorney because um, Yasmin is, is an attorney that I've never, I've never heard about this type of uh, attorney, an attorney that can protect uh, your brand uh, as a specialty. I figured it was out there, but when, when I was told about it, I was like, oh, that would be a really good attorney to have. So I appreciate you being on the podcast today, Yasmin. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Philip. Now, before, before we go into how you got into law, what I, what I do want to kind of just get into and get the random question out of the way. And we, we talked about it a little bit before was <laughs> the Carlton Banks case. Like, how did that happen? What did you, and I, and I know you mentioned you hadn't studied a lot into it, but let's just speculate and have fun for a second. Like, um, I thought he should have probably been able to um, uh, make some money off that because everybody knew it was Carlton Dance and they were charging for it. So I was like, well, man, like once they charged for it, that put, that put it in some muddy ground and uh, he should have got compensated. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So like I said, um, it is an interesting case and I haven't had the chance to dig into it. I kind of saw a few headlines and some people talking about it online, um, but I haven't taken a look at the details and, and what exactly took place, but kind of to speculate, like you said, um, it is interesting. You know, it's, it's being, I mean, it's the the game is and remind me um what what that game is called Fort, fortnite fortnite that's right fortnite yes <laughs> yeah the, the young kids in my family they they play it like nonstop. they're always talking about it so that just escaped me but yes yeah, so on fortnite you know they're monetizing um 
this concept or this dance, right? And they're, they're profiting off of it. You know, they sell it to the users is my understanding. They can purchase different dances and whatever it might be. Um, and so point is they're profiting off of something that was created by uh, possibly the actor. Um, what is his name? Alfonso? Alfonso Rivera. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, we call, yeah, we so call Carl him. Banks. Yeah, so Carlton. <laughs> we all know Carlton. Yeah, so the actor, uh, you know, that played Carlton on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, he was known for this dance. You see this dance, you automatically recognize that. Okay, that's Carlton from Fresh Prince. Um, but what I would want to know is, did he even create that dance, right? The actor himself. Was that something that he created or was that something that was created as part of the show? So the show's writers or, you know, producers, whoever it is, was that something that they created? Because when it comes to copyright law, which is um, one type of intellectual property, it's an original work of art or authorship, um, choreography could fall under that. And there are some protections in the law for that. And so what would be important is who created this, dance or this you know piece of choreography was it the actor that plays Carlton Banks or was it a producer on the show um did he have it created by a choreographer and that choreographer transferred ownership to him that's something that I would want to know um and then it comes down to also like was he is this something that could be protected under trademark law he wasn't using it in commerce he wasn't using it to sell a certain um, type of goods or service, but you know, was the show itself or the producers of the show, were they using that to advertise the television show? I mean, I don't know. There's, <laughs> there's so many different layers, right? That we could peel back and talk about. But um, my understanding is that he did not win his case. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, did, he didn't get any money for it. So, um, and, and we can go a million places on, I have a bunch of questions, but yeah. before, we, before we go there, let's first talk about like how you got into law. Where'd you go to law school? All, yeah. All yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, um, I was born and raised in the DFW area. Um, I went to school here, went to college out here and then, um, knew I want, I always knew I wanted to go to law school. Um, I always thought I would go into criminal defense and um, that was my plan. I was, and still am very passionate about, uh, criminal justice reform and the criminal justice system and just fascinated by the, the field of criminology in general. And so in college and undergrad, um, I went to UT Arlington. It was right down the street from me. I grew up in Euless, which is in the Mid-Cities area. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, you know, went to, went to school there, studied criminology and criminal justice. Um, my husband and I got married between uh, college and law school. And so during that time, I was applying to law schools also. Um, and I went to Texas A&M for law school. And so once I... Um, once I started there, like I said, I, I was very passionate about criminal justice and criminal justice reform. So my plan was, okay, I'm, you know, making a beeline to the criminal defense field, right? Like I already know what I'm doing. I'm not worried about anything else. Um, and I interned with a criminal defense attorney that first summer, um, which I was really excited about. And it was a good experience, um, but it was an eye-opening experience, most importantly. And so he, the attorney I interned with, he did a lot of appeals work. He did a lot of criminal defense work um, locally in Tarrant County. And I just realized that it was not everything I thought it to be, right? Um, it's certainly not anything like you see on TV. And I wasn't expecting that necessarily, but I was expecting a lot more uh, work directly with clients and working on, um, or working, you know, with the, with the courts and really, time in the court um 
defending my clients and doing what, you know, making sure that justice is, excuse me. I'm so sorry. I apologize. No, you're good. We'll yeah. edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Um, duty calls, duty calls. Yes, I apologize. But um, yeah, so I, I had envisioned it to be something totally different, right? Um, and it wasn't. It was a lot of plea bargains. Okay. And, and that's okay. That's the reality of it. Um, I think the statistic, at least a few years ago when I was in school, it was like 97% of cases are pled out. Like 3% of cases actually end up going to trial, which is a fascinating stat, mm. right? It's like, okay, so most of the time, if ch the charges are not dropped and the prosecution moves forward, um, the defendant is going to take a plea, right? And very... And, 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 not, and not to interrupt you, but what, what was the... You know, was it was it because the guilt was pretty obvious? Was it corruption in the system and coercing people into doing it, a combination of the two? Or, you know, what was your feel for why it's so yeah. high? Yeah, you know, I I don't I can't say with absolute certainty what it was, but I think it was definitely a, a combination of all of those different factors. Um, you know, certainly the the corruption that's within the system and the the brokenness of the system that we're dealing with and that has you know kind of evolved to where we are today in 2019 um that has uh, an impact on the the options that defendants have and the way that public defenders um move about you know and, and advise their clients you know a lot of the time it's like well um, where there's smoke there's fire if you were charged with this most likely you know you're going to be found guilty, right? Or you don't have a high chance of um, overcoming this these charges or uh, being acquitted of these charges. And so, yeah, just take the plea. You know, it's it's a lesser charge, or maybe it's something more appropriate, or maybe um, you know the individual doesn't have the funds to uh, finance a, a quality defense, right? Which money is justice in this system. You know, I know a lot of public defenders that are excellent are and are of quality um, and are honest, but unfortunately there are many public defenders that are just on the docket to be on the docket, you know, and they just move about through the system and they've got their, the clients that come through and, and it's just on to the next after that. Right. It's just another file in their, in their filing cabinet, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an eye opening experience. Um, and, you know, I just thought at the time, this isn't what I, what I expected this to be. And I'm like I said, I, I'm still very passionate about the criminal justice system um, and criminal justice reform in general. But I think that we need to be in different, different corners of the system, right? We don't all need to be in the courtroom. Um, some of us certainly do need to be in the courtroom. And I salute those that do because we need those people, um, you know, providing that service to society. But at the same time, we have to, in my and I, my intention is to contribute in different areas, right? And in different ways besides just being in the courtroom or, or as a criminal defense attorney. And so a bit long-winded, um, but that's where I was, right? My first year of law school was kind of like, okay, uh, this is not what I want to do anymore. Like, this isn't, this isn't for me. Um, and I was grateful that it became clear to me in my first year. Um, and then after that, I went back to school and I was kind of like, what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> you know, like, what, what am I going to do now? Like, that's not what I want to do anymore. And I realized that and I'm, I'm 
I'm glad that that became clear sooner rather than later, but now I've got to figure out what I'm going to do moving forward. And so um, I've always had an interest in business. I come from a family of entrepreneurs um, and business owners. And, um, you know, I've, I've always been interested in that area. Um, but I wasn't really clear on what it was that attorneys do, you know, what role do lawyers play in businesses? Um, and so I took an entrepreneurship in the law class. I took some intellectual property classes and I fell in love with it. I was just, you know, I remember thinking to myself, okay, I could see this being something that I, um, that I use that this information that I can use to help business owners avoid litigation, um, avoid, you know, costly mistakes, um, help them to build a foundation within their businesses. But again, I hadn't seen it, you know, practically how that works. So I interned with a business law firm here in Dallas. Um, and it was a great experience, um, you know, as far as like seeing the type of work that clients need and the type of assistance and support that business owners and entrepreneurs need um, in, you know, developing their businesses foundations, protecting their intellectual property and their brands, um, protecting, you know, we even did some estate planning. So protecting their personal assets and their business assets um, in the event of, you know, just unforeseen events or, or whatever it might be. Were, were, and, they, were they, were, were they doing the, were they doing the type of brand work that, that you're doing now too? Cause you started your own company yeah. what, in 2016. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so they were really more transactional and, and that's, and that was really what encouraged me. Well, I don't know. I don't know if encouraged is the right way. That's really what helped me see that the right, path for me would to be would be to do it on my own because I saw how they were doing things at the firm and obviously it was working for them I presume that they were turning a profit you know they're still in business today I think um but it was more mill like right like it was more like we're just churning this paper out and just like pushing the clients through and then it's on to the next and we never met with clients face to face or like spoke with them directly it was always you know they deal with the intake people and then we just push the paper Right. And so I'm thinking, okay, these businesses are very personal to the clients, mm -hmm. right? Like, even though it's business, it's very personal to you. And one of the unique things that I saw about, you know, what you do with your business and really how you frame up what you do. And I think it's smart, right? And we can, we can sit on this and kind of weed this into, uh, you know, what, you know, your, your story is, mm -hmm. uh, protecting brand, right? Cause, cause here's my, here, here's my thought. And I got to frame this up well, so you, so folks know where I'm coming from. So a lot of people are saying, hey, technology is destroying jobs, blah, 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 yeah. right? And, and sure, they are destroying jobs, but they're making a lot more job, you know, a lot more create, creative jobs yeah. uh, available where, you know, protecting um, where your IP and, and all that is basically the biggest part of your value, right? You know, mm -hmm. so... So was that part of your thought process and saying, hey, look, we're in a new world. You know, we got people making millions on YouTube, on podcasts, on their blog. You know, brands are no longer have 150 channels to advertise on. They got a million and, you know, people need to protect that. Is it, was that were you thinking that deeply when you formed your company or how did you get to the to that part? Absolutely. Yeah. So like when I was at that law firm, I saw that they were working with a lot of people that had. Um, the traditional type of businesses, right? Which, you know, there's nothing wrong with these businesses. They're businesses 
know, and their own respect, but, you know, it was like, they'd work with roofers, they'd work with, um, you know, construction companies, they'd work with, you know, the, these traditional type of businesses that, um, you know, are working out in the field, right? They don't live online. And I, of course, as a, a millennial, um, I see, you know, a whole different world online, you know, and I see my peers building a whole new um, business, you know, uh, ecosystem, I guess you could say, right? And so we're creating these these brands that live online, these businesses that live online, that thrive online, that serve their clients online. Um, You know, we're we're, uh, utilizing all these different platforms like podcasts, like YouTube, Instagram, um, Etsy, Shopify, whatever it might be to promote, to create our content and promote our content and reach our audiences. And so I saw that and I'm thinking, okay, these dudes are not doing what they could be doing to serve Mm -hmm this audience, right? And these, these people, I mean, these business owners. And so I took the bar, I sat for the bar exam in uh, 2016. um, And I was licensed uh, that same year I passed. Thankfully, I did not think I was going to pass, but I did. Mm -hmm. And so we did that. And then after that, I started taking clients and I was building my brand at that point, um, you know, developing my website, figuring out who it is I want to serve. You know, what, uh, what service offerings am I going to provide? You know, what help do my clients need or the people that I do want to serve, what do they need and how can I best serve them? Um, and that's where, you know, YSH Law Firm was born. Um, I officially launched it the summer of 2017, um, which was great. You know, it was well received and a lot of people were kind of like, wow, I, I never even realized I needed this sort of help in my business. And that's the thing is that a lot of what I work with my clients on and that I help, you know, support my clients with, um, it's not required by the law necessarily to take these steps in order to start your business. You can start your business without building a solid legal foundation, but the problem is when later on as problems arise, um, it's going to be much more costly, you know, expensive and time consuming for you to clean up that mess had you not, you know, versus doing it right the first time around, um, doing it right early on and laying that solid legal foundation and laying the groundwork and then building your business upon that. Absolutely. It's the same with financial planning. So, so let, let's get into some of the questions then, right? Because one of the things that, that I think about uh, when it comes to uh, br- you know, brand law is like um, um, the, the, the gray areas, right? So for example, is it, let's say I'm having a, you know, I'm putting out content to promote uh, my business and, you know, and you see these people that, that uh, will do a clip of CNBC or something, you know, in their content and then give commentary on it. Like when you do stuff like that, is that um, not legal? So you mean by citing, so like when you're citing something else, yeah, so not not citing per se, but let's say I do a, you know, I, on my podcast, I, I, I say something like, um, you know, I, I, let's say I play the clip of CNBC talking about the Carlton Banks or Alfonso Rivera case. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that's his last name. I don't know what his last name yeah. is. But, but, but if I play that clip on my podcast, is that breaking uh, a rule? Um, yeah, so, so. A lawyer's favorite answer, (laughs) it depends, right? (laughs) It truly does. It truly does depend. Um, But I would, I'm inclined to say, 
if you were to play something that was in the news um, or if it was for educational purposes or part of the public domain, then that would be protected under copyright law. Um, now, where it would be problematic would be if, let's say, um, you know, there was an article that was written on the Carlton Banks case, um, and then you ripped all of the the written content or the video content you turned it into you know the written word into written word and you published it as your own that would be problematic um but if you were just like playing a clip and then you know having adding your own commentary that was original to you that commentary would be your copywritten work um and you would have rights in that as your intellectual property and then the other um the other, you know, clip that you played, I, if it is in the public domain, or if you're using it for educational purposes, then that could be something, um, that could be something that would be, that would not be problematic. Does that make sense? No, no, it, it makes complete sense. And, and my specific reason for asking it to go, to go deeper is, you know, Apple's move, right? Apple, Apple's move to, you know, charge $10 a month for the new subscription service and split the profits with the 300 newspapers who did the deal with them, um, uh, you know, goes against everything the internet is about, meaning the internet's about democratizing information and it wants to be more, more and more free. And so, mm -hmm. you know, my thought was, well, the easy move around that is there's an opportunity for a content curator to say, hey, look, I'll just get subscriptions to these magazines and then, you know, uh, DJ, you know, my own spin into the most important relevant things that everybody's reporting on and I'll give it away for free and trade for a bigger audience. Right. So I'm like, that's a dumb move for Apple. Um, and so that's why I asked the question because I was like, well, man, as long as you can like still reference the content, nobody's going to sign up for that. Not anybody who's like, you know, thinks like we do. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting point. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Um, so, so, so the, the, but the, so then, um, the other question that I have too around like protecting, uh, protecting your brand is like, give, give me like some examples around, um, you know, one of the newer businesses that, uh, that you're working with and something you might tell them to think about planning for, right? Because a lot of what I would assume you do is in advance saying, hey, you ought to think about these three things that you're probably going to, you know, you can't protect everything, but these are big things that you need to make sure uh, you protect yourself for, from. Yeah, that's a that's a great um, that's a great question. So, uh, I have recently been working with um, a number of uh, service providers, so business service providers. Um, so, for example, like uh, coaches and web developers, um, you know, virtual CFOs or like financial planners, people that work. Uh, directly like one-on-one -on -one with clients that typically are business owners, but sometimes it's individual behind the business. Right. Um, and so I've noticed that, and we can talk more about why it's so important for those service providers to have, you know, brand protection in place. I think that would be a great point to make um, in a second, but as far as like things to watch out for, to address your question, Philip, um, one thing that I find a lot of people not to be aware of and a lot of problems arising from this is when you're developing your brand um, part of that brand development is developing uh, you know graphic design elements 
to identify your brand online. So you're having a logo developed, you're developing, you know, a, a color palette, right, that you're going to use um, as the basis of your brand and your business. Um, maybe you're having like a slogan or a tagline or something developed and so there's some graphic design elements that come along with that. Um, and so specifically focusing on the logo, which is something I would say probably like 99% of online businesses have, right? So you have a, you have a logo that's developed by a graphic designer. Um, and so what I'm seeing a lot of people struggle with and, and, uh, experience problems with later on, sometimes months or even years after having the logo developed, they begin using the logo as a trademark, which is a, a piece of intellectual property um, that identifies the source of goods or services. So I'm using this logo to identify the source of my coaching services, for example, right? Um, and so they have a graphic designer develop the logo, and then they never have copyright ownership of that logo transferred expressly to them. And so with copyrights, which is a second type of intellectual property, the copyright ownership is in the graphic design itself. So that's rights in the work of art itself, meaning the copyright owner has the right to um, reproduce this image, has the right to transfer ownership of it, has the right to create derivative works based on it, um, has the right to authorize others or license others the use of this uh, design or this image or whatever it might be. Um, and so the person, the coach for in this example, the coach, never had the graphic designer transfer ownership of the logo to, excuse me, to them. And so the graphic designer can turn around, tweak this image and sell it to somebody else or can license the logo to somebody else. And it might be a coach too, mm. right? And then that coach could begin using that logo or elements of that logo um, and using it to identify the source of their services, which obviously can create a trademark issue and confusion in the marketplace. Um, and you know, it, it also stinks to be the second person in that situation, right? Like I didn't know somebody else had already begun using this logo. I hired someone to create a logo for me and they created this logo, sold it to me as if they created it for me um, you know, originally. But that the problem in that is that that second individual never, uh, you know, had an attorney, typically did not have an attorney review the contract with the graphic designer or the brand developer and make sure that they're going to be creating an original piece for them. Um, not something derived from, you know, a past client of theirs or even like stock imagery that they find online, which I see a lot um, happening. And so that's, um, you know, that can be problematic. And, you know, it's you, you hire someone to develop a brand for you. They design this logo or whatever it might be. You never fully own, you know, the rights to the use of this logo. Um, and you might find somebody else later on using a logo similar to yours. Um, you might find uh, that you have to deal with an infringement lawsuit, which is very expensive. Um, you've got to uh, go through a forced rebranding, you know, which can also be very expensive. Mm -hmm. And it's not a good look, right, to kind of put yourself out there as this is who I am, one, two, three. Um, this is how you can identify me. This is what I want to begin to invest in, um, you know, for you to, for my audience to, to, to build that recognition um, in my brand and who I am and the quality of services that I provide. And then you kind of got to turn around and say, all right, uh, so that's not me anymore. This is actually me now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's just not a situation you want to find yourself in. And so that's 
where it comes in, like we have to be proactive when it comes to that stuff. We don't want to be doing that damage control later on. Got it. No, make, make, makes sense. How about, how about, um, you know, like, and, and I'm guilty of this, but how about when we, you know, so I use Podbean as a hosting platform for my podcast mm-hmm. and then, you know, put videos on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, you mm-hmm. know, how does the contract work with them as far as them being able to just take our IP? Is that, is that, uh, are, are you, uh, are we relatively protected or how does that all work? Cause that's something that I think can be a big issue down the road. Like, you know, if we don't have that protected. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, again, it depends. <laughs> it depends on the specific platform and the agreement that is signed with that platform. Um, and so I'm not familiar with Podbean. Um, I don't really know as far as uh, Facebook goes, um, you know, what their rights are in using your content, but you as the creator of that content remain the owner um, of that copyright, which means, again, you have this, uh, this bundle of rights as a copyright owner um, in that you can reproduce it, you can publish it, uh, you can create derivative works based on it. And by derivative works, I mean, you can create other pieces of content based on that, derived from that content, right? So if I've got a video, I can create a written blog based on, you know, the transcript of that video, right? if I've got videos, I can turn them into clips or take screenshots of that and turn it into graphic, you know, social media graphics or whatever it may be. Um, And so it depends on the agreement that you have with them and that making sure that you have not transferred ownership expressly in the copyright of that content. And typically that is not the case. Um, But again, like I said, it depends on what the contract is that was signed. Um, Now, like, do I own my content or do I own... Um, you know, whatever lives in this platform. So like a popular thing I see with business owners, especially service providers, is they create uh, Facebook groups, right? Mm-hmm. You create a Facebook group for your audience to kind of, you know, join collectively and um, just have a space for your people um, so that you can speak to them and engage with them and so on. Um, you don't own that Facebook group, right? You don't own that list of individuals. And that's why it's so important. And, and this is kind of outside of brand protection, but definitely within the realm of business and business development is you want to make sure that you're maintaining a list um, and an email list of those individuals and of those members, because that is something you truly own, right? You don't mm-hmm. own the Facebook group platform. You don't own, you know, Podbean. You don't own um, whatever it is, uh, unless that's in your contract, <laughs> which I doubt. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's something that you want to be conscious of is, okay, I'm, I want to utilize. There's nothing wrong with utilizing these different platforms. It's great actually to do that. If it, you know, helps you to promote your business and helps you to reach your audience and get your message to, uh, you know, to those that need to hear your message. Um, but be conscious of, you know, let me make sure that I'm not signing over ownership of my content or I'm not allowing them the right to reproduce this or, um, you know, create derivative works based on it. Got it. And, and, and here, here's another question that I have. And, and I think it's, you know, it's something I think is going to probably become a bigger problem down the road. You might, you might correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but for, for example, so I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll use my business for example. So yeah. basically I, 
you know, I basically own two companies. You know, I have a media company and a wealth management company. And my wealth management company is the client of my uh, media, company. media company, you know, that I produce content for. But they're basically, I mean, I'm basically doing the work for both of them. But somebody approached me about investing in my wealth management company and they were like, Hey, yeah, but, but I also want to, um, you know, own the media company too. And, and I, we didn't end up doing a deal, but it, it made me think, I was like, yeah, that is probably the most, the, the most valuable part of what I'm doing is if people really understand, you know, it's, 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 more value than my wealth management company because it's going to grow it. And it's, you know, it's, it's forward thinking and all that kind of stuff. But, but my point was, I think every business is going to have a media company uh, if they're smart and how they sell moving forward. And um, it'll create like a gray area like that moving forward. So I, I had thought about, it. I was like, wait a minute, they are kind of combined and how do you separate it out and how do you really get the value and how do you create clarity around the deal? But is, is that something that you've, thought about advised about or you know just what are your thoughts on it yeah um so i'm not totally clear on what your question is but i'm going to try to answer it yeah and you're right because i don't know if i if i if i asked yeah. a question it just was i want your thoughts on on the whole situation yeah so like maintaining separation um when there are really uh close endeavors like the one that you've described, and I see this with a lot of different clients, is they'll have um, different endeavors or different ventures or different projects that they're working on. And, you know, maybe there is some overlap, maybe they one does serve the other or vice versa. Um, you know, maybe they share resources, you know, and maybe you are that resource, right. Um, but what's really important is making sure that there is a separation as far as the entities go. Mm -hmm. um, and the finances. And so let's say I have my, um, you know, law practice, just kind of a different spin on the example that you set forward. I have my law practice. And then I also have a media company. Um, now I want to make sure that I have separation between my law practice and my media company and that my law practice has its own entity, whether it's a corporation or an LLC. Mm -hmm. And then my media company also has its own entity, a corporation or an LLC, whichever is appropriate. Um, and then that way, if I decide to take on partners um, or if I decide to take on a contract or take on debt, you know, maybe I'm taking on a loan to taking out a loan to grow, you know, my media company, my law practice will not be uh, accessible by the debt collector, right? My law practice will not, if there's a lawsuit in the, you know, uh, in the scope of a project that I took on with my media company, my law practice is not accessible, um, you know, in a lawsuit, in the event of a lawsuit, right? So I want to make sure that I maintain separation between the two. And that doesn't end just at, um, that doesn't end at, you know, okay, I filed the paperwork at the Secretary of State and I've got an LLC for this one and I've got a corporation for this one. You really have to make sure that you operate as though they're two separate entities. And let me know really quickly before I keep going on, um, is this answering your question? Is this what you meant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I don't know if it was just, you know, great legal advice from my attorney set everything up, but I actually did have uh, two LLCs and two EINs wow. and separated finances oh, and, and all excellent. that. So, so it, it, but I hadn't really, you know, I, I hadn't done that with foresight for this type of situation. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was interesting. And so, yeah, you, you answered it. Cause I was like, I think I'm, you know, I think I'm protected, 
you know, uh, and it was pretty clear when we were having a conversation what, you know, what they would own and what they wouldn't own because we had everything except for it just, it just was whether I wanted to take the deal or not. And, you know, I chose, I chose not, but I was like, man, I got lucky because I just so happened to had already separated everything. Yeah. So like I said, whenever um, an individual does have these two separate, you know, ventures and two separate businesses, really, you want to make sure that you are operating as though they are two different entities. Um, and so that includes maintaining separate finances. So you have, like you mentioned, you want to make sure you have diff different EINs, um, which are the employer identification numbers that you secure from the IRS. And then you open separate business bank accounts for each of the businesses. And then you maintain separation between the two. So I'm not using, you know, my law practices bank account to pay bills for my, um, my media company and vice versa, right? I'm not using, um, you know, the funds of one to make payment or pay my employees of the other. Um, and having a really good accountant um, and CFO, really, there are so many virtual CFOs, um, you having someone that can help you maintain that separation and make sure that you're paying your employees correctly or paying your contractors correctly and, you know, your expenses are coming out of the right place, um, that goes a long way. Um, and so... Yeah, that's, um, that's something to keep in mind. And as far as like taking on a partner or taking on um, a different uh, type um, uh, relationship within a business, you just want to make sure that the contract there, first of all, you want to make sure there is a written a contract, right? You want to make sure there's a written agreement mm -hmm. that makes very clear, you know, what is, uh, what is th this relationship going to be? What are the terms of the relationship? How are we going to operate? How are decisions made? Um, how's compensation being made? All of those details, and that's something an attorney can help you with. Um, but also that it's between that individual and whoever the company is. And so it's not between you as an individual and that individual. It's not between you and both companies or the other company and the individual. It's instead, you know, within the scope of this project, we are only working with, you know, you as a partner, whoever it is, and then this business, um, you know, the business that you're going to take them on as a partner in or whatever the relationship is. Got it. No, make, make, makes complete sense. Uh, makes complete sense. You, and you know, as I, as I, as I looked at the time just now, I realized I was like, Hey, uh, we're going to have to do a, a whole other episode because we haven't even gotten into a whole lot of things um but yeah what I, what I want to do now is get to the to my last part where I ask everybody the same five questions yeah um, and, and uh so the first question is if you can go back and talk to 22 year old Yasmin what would you go tell her uh 22 year old Yasmin um okay so I was in I want to say I was about to start law school um so I would just tell her to keep an open mind um, and don't limit yourself. You know, you don't know everything at this point in your life, even if it might feel like you do, um, you'll never know everything <laughs> and that's okay. You know, it's, it's just a very limiting thing. Um, you know, the, even the words themselves, like I know, um, you know, that really shuts off uh, your ability to, it shuts you off from, uh, being open to and accepting other information and, and options and seeing those as viable options. And so, yeah, I would just tell her, keep an open mind, you know, anything is possible and, and the world is your oyster. 
Okay. Now that's a good one. Where, where do you get your news and information? So like, you know, and then what I mean by where, I mean, like, do you go online, uh, read magazines, books, TV? Yeah. Um, so news and information. So as far as the news goes, I, I read that online. Um, I don't have TV as far as like local news or anything like that. So I'll like read the local news online. I'll read, um, you know, like national news online um, and kind of get all of that online weather and all that good stuff. And then um, as far as your, the other part of the question was information. So information, um, I get that from books. I'll get that from um, the internet also. Um, and yeah, that's, that's really where, where I'll go. Um, yeah, TV, not so much. Okay. No, no, cool. This is, this is a good little study for me. Um, I'm like, I can do some market study when I interview folks. So it's helpful. Yeah. It's helpful. What, what about, um, so brands you like to spend money with. So what are the companies, top three companies that you just like spending money with them? You're like, Hey, you know, um, and it doesn't have to be a lot of money, but you're just happy to do business with these companies. Uh, what are those companies? Oh, okay. Um, so Amazon is a big, is a big one. Um, they save me a lot of time. Uh, it's just so easy to use their platform. I, I know that there are some like issues with them in the news lately. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm hoping that we can resolve those things because it's really just transformed my life. You know, I, I hate to go to the store and have to buy, you know, these bigger items um, and lug them home. And that kind of big brings me to my second company that I've really been loving and, and I enjoy, uh, you know, spending my money with them is Instacart. Um, Instacart has been great. Um, they, uh, they deliver groceries. And so I also don't like going to the grocery store. It, I feel like it's just such a waste of time mm -hmm. uh, of my time. Um, you know, and then having to like load it all up in the car and then you get home and then you got to like unload it and dig it. So I'm just like, just bring it to me, please. It's enough that I've got to figure out what I got to order. Right? right. And so, um, yeah, Instacart has been great. It's been a lifesaver. I mean, it really just, it, it, your time is so valuable, you mm -hmm. know, and, and really when it comes down to it, like people are like, well, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily want to spend 20 bucks to have someone do what I could do. Yeah. But what could you do in that time? over time right so every month if i go to the grocery store four times a month um versus i can just spend 15 minutes placing an order and then i don't have to think about it or drive there or load or and all that um you know that time is it'll come back to you and and you can spend it generating a hell of a lot more than 20 bucks right absolutely yeah absolutely. And so and that i feel like that principle really applies to so many different areas not even just grocery store shopping um but you know just mundane tasks within our businesses and different specialized tasks within our businesses that we try to diy it's like why am i spending time trying to learn how to design a landing page or develop a like why am i not just hiring someone that can do that already to do that and then i can spend time operating within my zone of genius right Absolutely. And revenue and, and generating a hell of a lot more revenue than whatever I'm spending with on this person helping me with this one task. Um, and so, yeah, Instacart for sure. Um, and then my third one. Um, so 
the person that connected us actually comes to mind. Um, I gladly spend my money with her. Her name is Kendra James Anderson. She's mm-hmm. the finance femme. Um, and I'm so glad that she connected us and our paths were able to cross because of her. Um, she is my virtual CFO for my business. Um, and she helps me just keep a clear view of my business's finances. Um, you know, just having everything in order. And she produces these fabulous, fabulous reports for me every month. And we have our monthly money meetings where we talk about, you know, the status of, of the business and all of that. And yeah, she's just fabulous. So if anybody's listening and looking for somebody to help them with that type of, of work within their business, I highly recommend her. Yeah, she, she, she is pretty smart. Yeah. So, and, and then, um, so shows when, when you are decompressing and, 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 trying not to think about anything and just want to be entertained. What are some shows and movies you like to watch? Yeah. So I, um, I, like I said, I don't have TV as far as like cable goes, but Mm -hmm. we've got Netflix. We've got Hulu. We've got Amazon Prime. (laughs) We've got all these things uh, where we're able to watch. And so back in, uh, back in law school, I actually started, like I, I'd never wanted to watch anything suspense filled. I only wanted to watch comedy because I felt like my life was already suspenseful enough. <laughs> I'm like, I can't deal with the suspense. Like I will not choose suspense if I have a choice. Right. So I've got to watch something funny. Um, so as far as like when I do need to, you know, I just want to decompress and watch something light. Um, I love to watch um, the Mindy project. Um, I love to watch uh, Family Guy, um, Blackish, um, Modern Family. Uh, what else? Uh, Friends is a classic. So like anything really light and just funny. Um, but you know, it's also like tied to pop culture in some ways. I do enjoy that. Um, and okay. so yeah, that's that's really what I watch. But I also enjoy. I, I love watching the documentaries. Um, that they have on Netflix. I can't really think of any off the top of my head right now that I watched recently that I recommend. But yeah, they have great ones on Netflix. Um, and so documentary is always, it's always a good decision. Awesome. No, yeah. I, um, I'm, I'm fi- that's a lot of folks that do that. It's, why, it's probably why it's worth, worth so much. Last one. What, what are the top three books that you've read recently or of all time? Oh man, of all time or recently. Uh, okay, so recently I finished for like the maybe the third time. Um, Jen Sincero's You Are a Badass at Making Money. Um, it was so good and I highly recommend it. Like it was it was just phenomenal. I really, I enjoyed her. I read her other, a few of her other ones. Um, and that one was just great. I mean, it's all about money mindset. So, um, and I, in her book, I want to say that one, she talks about how your mindset is a muscle. And so you can't kind of like when we go to the gym, you know, and you get in shape, it's not like, all right, thanks for getting me in shape. I'm never coming here again. No, it's something that we have to continue to revisit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of the reason why I've listened to it a few times. Um, and when I say listen to it, I love audiobooks. I wish I had the time to sit down and just read. Um, but I find that, you know, it's becoming more and more difficult to do that. And so I love listening to audiobooks in the morning. I'll listen to it at the gym. Um, if I'm making lunch or whatever it might be, 
just if I find some time where I'm doing something that doesn't really require my focus, I can listen to an audiobook. Um, and then one of my all-time favorites is uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Um, it was Outliers Stories of Success or the Story of Success, um, but it's definitely called Outliers and it's by Malcolm Gladwell. And that is just a great read all around. I highly recommend that. And then actually when I was on, um, on a plane this weekend, I finally finished uh, Tiffany Haddish's The Last Black Unicorn, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know if you're familiar with her or if you've read her book, but she is hilarious. Um, and she has a great story and she really just tells it all in this book. And there's some really good lessons in it. And so, yeah, I'd recommend it. And I, I would recommend the audiobook because she narrates it. So that was great. Oh yeah, I bet that, is. and I bet that's a that could be a whole episode in and of itself. So, so I'm definitely gonna have to have you back because, you know, I have a million questions because I'm, you know, I'm a creator. I'm, I'm basically a creator that just so happens to own a wealth management business, yeah. and I think there's so much gray area and opportunity at the fringes of 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 what you do uh, for mm-hmm. creators, and so um, and and the new age business owner. So I I appreciate you taking time out to. Uh, spend an hour of your billable time. Absolutely. (laughs) It's my pleasure. Yeah. I feel like we barely like saw the tip of the iceberg, honestly. Um, There's so, there's so much more that we could talk about when it comes to protecting your brand. Um, You know, there are a lot of things that we could delve a lot deeper into. And so, yeah, I I look forward to um, being invited to come back. Uh, Absolutely. We'll consider it done. Um, Thanks. Thanks again. 